HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Get out of the city and explore while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You, of course, are listening to the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are continuing our conversation on chocolate, taking a look at things from a slightly different angle with a different crew. We are in studio with a longtime friend of the network and supporter, Nate Hodge, who's the co-founder of Rocket Chocolates. Nate, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. And he has introduced us to Tim Shepard, who is the director and cinematographer of a new film called Setting the Bar. Um, you can find out more about them at settingthebarfilm.com or by continuing to listen to us on radio. <laughs> Tim, welcome to the studio. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you guys are embarking on a very interesting uh, kind of collaborative project looking at um, rare varieties of cacao in Peru. Yeah. So at the moment, we're about halfway through at the moment, but we just came back from our Peru leg where we took a bunch of different chocolate makers down just to see if we can find some like interesting types of cacao and something that's like not been done yet and see if we can bring some back to do some samples on so we could try to preserve some of it. So, Nate, you obviously, as a co-founder of a chocolate company, are a chocolate maker. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Tim, what is your relationship with chocolate? How did you get into the uh, cacao space? So, we, my wife and I moved to Guatemala, and on our first night there, we bumped into this chocolate maker who's from Guatemala. Uh, Sorry, a cacao farmer from Guatemala, who's this really cool guy, um, taught us a bunch of stuff about cacao, which we knew nothing of. Other than eating it, right? Well, I mean, eaten, you were chocolate eaters. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bigger right. guy. We've eaten chocolate. Let's all come out in the studio together. I am a chocolate eater. I, too, have eaten chocolate. 
I've eaten uh, too much. A lot of chocolate. A lot of chocolate. <laughs> a lot of chocolate. Sorry. So you had met a, a, a the cacao a... farmer, um, and then the next day, randomly, we met a um, cacao sourcer and preservationist, I guess. Um, so he was the guy who we ended up going down to Peru with, um, and we ended up becoming good friends in Guatemala and spent a lot of time together. And he was, he kind of taught us everything that we needed to know about chocolate over a couple of months. Who is this? Uh, his name's Steve Bergen. So he's the guy. So if you actually, if you visit the website, you can um, check out like a quick clip um, from the film. I love that Steve Bergen's title on the site is Cacao Hunter. Yeah, I spent some time trying to make him sound as epic as possible, but he is that <laughs> epic. He is a really cool guy. Definitely very interesting. So your background is in filmmaking. Yeah, so news and filmmaking. Um, we were living in San Francisco before. Um, we now live in Mexico um, because I don't have to make corporate videos there, and there I get to make stuff that's kind of cool and interesting and can spend my time doing that. So so you met a guy who knew about chocolate, and then we're like, all right, cool, this is what I'm going to do for the next, what, Six months, year, two yeah, years, like three years. Year of my life. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Must have been some guy. He's quite a guy. He um, really is. I spent some time with him last summer and then we went down to take part in this film with him this summer. Um, he's a guy who was in media in New York, um, got really soured on it and decided he was just going to travel in South America um, and other parts of Latin America. Um, and he's really big into. Preservation of the rainforest, and he sees cacao as a really uh, strong way uh, to do that. So, Nate, as someone who is purchasing, you know, the raw materials of chocolate making, where does this kind of conservation, preservation, varietal uh, information play into how you think about and operate your business? Um, it's crucial for the genetic diversity and the variety of cacao that we're, we're looking for to make really interesting chocolate. Like a lot of these places in the jungle in Peru or Bolivia or Ecuador or uh, Brazil even, well, actually the places in Peru and Bolivia, they're, gonna, they're starting to go the way of the rainforest in Brazil where lots of the rainforest has been cut down so that large factory farms can come in, plant African palm, plant pineapple, and all the genetic diversity of not only the cocoa, but all kinds of other things is leaving the region. Uh, and it's not just about the crops, but it's also about the people there who are the people who are educated and have the experience with growing cacao that are being forced to leave their land or uh, and being displaced into cities where they don't have um, the skills to go out and get jobs. Like what they know is is the agriculture. So it's about preserving those communities, but also ensuring that we have the supply we need moving forward as the world moves more and more to larger factory farms. So we're not going to talk too much on the show today about what is uh, a rare cacao varietal and kind of the um, specifics of that type of farming because we covered that earlier this summer. So definitely. Uh, check out that episode. I want to kind of focus our time here on the importance of of kind of storytelling and and really starting to um, think about like what are the the like real on the ground um, things that are happening. I think when you are a consumer who goes into you know your local boutique grocery store or big box store and buys a bar of chocolate, it's really hard to 
get your head in a place where you're at all connected to the person who grew it or even Nate, you know, visiting like your beautiful factory down in Red Hook, you know, that's a little bit more accessible, but I'm not going down there to buy your chocolate. Mostly I'm getting (laughs) it at all the other places it's available. So, um, you know, Tim, as a a filmmaker, um, as a storyteller, I mean, what do you think that the medium of film really brings to this story? Like, why was this a thing that you are kind of willing to focus your time on? Because I'm guessing there's not a huge check waiting for you. Or no, already in your bank yet. account. I was going to ask Nate after this. But... <laughs> Let's see how the interview <laughs> yeah, goes. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure it's going to come that readily. Um, but I think from my point of view, the really cool thing about this story, like the thing that struck me the most um, was, I mean, we hear a lot about the connecting the farmer to the um, to the chocolate maker, to the consumer, and I feel like, you know, that, that exists um, in some parts, but it's a really important story. But the thing that I liked most about this was that it was a conglomeration of um, chocolate makers who essentially should be competitors. Like, really, like, we had we went down with a guy from L.A., Parliament Chocolate, um, some people from Atlanta with Chocolatle Chocolate, French Broad out of North Carolina, and they compete. Like, it's they're all, like, relatively national, and they all compete, and the fact that they still want to work together and focus their efforts on doing this kind of, like, telling this story um, was kind of striking to me because I don't think there's that many industries that are doing that level of kind of um, collaboration. And it's not like a cartel situation where Nate's getting together no, with they're taking good over. buddies. No, they're absolutely yeah, taking <laughs> over. We're going to places where there aren't roads. Yeah. And we're forcing them to give us all the all the chocolate. No, the, and just the level of passion that would happen, like, every single time we'd go for a drink or a meal... It would, and it just happened within seconds. As soon as everyone got off the um, got off the plane in Peru, we'd been down there for a couple of weeks doing like some pre-production, and immediately it was one of the most like interesting conversations about the importance of ethics and sourcing and why they should be there doing what they're doing and like how exactly how they're doing it. Like it was just all the cards are on the table straight away, which is a really, I think, rare, rare thing to see. Yeah. So Nate, as you kind of like make your make your entree into that space, like. Um, when you decide to become a chocolate maker, was that desire driven by your like side passion for small scale agriculture? Was it your love of chocolate that came first? Like, how did you come to this component of the work within your business? I think it's. Uh, I grew up in a very um, religious household, um, and within that space, I didn't. I witnessed a lot of stuff that wasn't very compassionate, um, even though that's what you're being taught like over and over and over again. Um, and I think it comes from this like sort of deeper place of this like belief in in humans and that like we can find a way to work together across cultures thousands of miles away um, and collaborate on something that's more than just a chocolate bar, something that like um, like like has brought a lot of enrichment to my life and hopefully we can bring that same enrichment to the people that are putting in just as much work, if not more work than I'm doing to create a finished product. Yeah. So Tim, for folks who've never been around chocolate production, never met cacao growers, can you kind of paint a picture for us? Like what, what did it, what does it look look like, sound like, feel like, what are, where's your kind of camera lens swinging to and why? 
So for us, when we were down there, um, and I can just talk to Peru in particular, like I've spent a little bit of time in Guatemala, um, but in Peru in particular, I would just say it's one of the most logistically insanely <laughs> difficult things that I've ever done. Like every single thing, like just for us to get to, you know, a community where there potentially might be cacao, which is like as much as we were going on, would be like a five-hour boat ride with where you have to go and like, I mean, one guy we had to, he had a boat and he was the guy in town who had the boat. So we had to go, he was in hospital. So we had to go to hospital and see if we get permission for that. The driver was in a different place. The boat, the engine was in a different place. Then you need to go get gas from a different place. It's so difficult to get around. I've never experienced anything quite like it. <laughs> and then once you get out there, I mean, a lot of the villages that we were going to had not had um, much contact with... Um, like white people I guess like that much before like you know many outsiders much um, so every village we'd get to nearly every single time the farmers were um, all the men were like off in the fields and they would get on a loudspeaker and call everyone in to see whether they wanted to come and listen to what <laughs> we had to say and then the women were there but they couldn't speak any Spanish um, mm -hmm. so we couldn't really communicate with them and then we have to have like people on the side of the tribe who would be willing to like speak with us and like kind of introduce us and everything but it was pretty interesting to see and this is this largely attests to the work of Steve Bergen the cacao hunter um, <laughs> who had just done so much work down there um, but people were really interested to listen to what we were saying about you know don't cut down these like really old genetics because the I mean Peru just briefly is like the gen genetic origin of cacao and then it's spread out from there so we were there saying like don't cut down these really old genetics and these like really beautiful cacao trees because there's a lot of potential there for what like Nate and the rest of the crew are doing um, but still like you know make your money with these kind of cheaper types of cacao so it's kind of like that kind of balance but it was it was definitely very difficult yeah it's the, one of the challenges is uh like letting people know that don't expect to rely on us for all of your business. Um, we're not going to be able to buy everything that you produce. So right. part of the challenge is, be, is Wait, letting who, them know. Who's we, though, too? Just so Me and the, the other chocolate companies. That, yeah, my, <laughs> my small, small small odd cartel. Okay. Um, <laughs> that what we're looking for is something that they want them to preserve so that we can find out more about it. And so hopefully down the road, they can build a brand off these genetics that are native to, to their land. Um, but at the same time, like in order for them to, for it to be economically viable for them to grow cacao, they're going to have to um, produce some of these like low quality hybrids just so they, they can have a cash crop. Um, so it's this balance of like educating them on like, don't go and like listen a hundred percent to what we're saying, but take this like little like grain of what we're saying and let's work to over time, find out what it is that's here. Um, and what it is, uh, that's interesting about the genetics of this region. So, um, the, like there's kind of, I can imagine, uh, well, let me tell a story. I When I moved upstate, I spent a year on a rare breed pig farm upstate, and I went to visit the commodity dairy operation around the corner, and I'm sitting in the little you know, room inside the milking barn with the like pin-up pictures of the girls and like <laughs> talking to this gentleman. 
um, who is a you know fourth generation dairy farmer, has a bachelor's degree in dairy farming. And I'm like, well, you know, I read this book once by Michael Pollan that said that like cows aren't supposed to eat corn. And he looked at me like I had, you know, two heads. And like, here I am, this like girl from Brooklyn up at the farm trying to tell this guy who has like his entire life and his entire lineage and his entire education had said, like, do these things, don't do these other things. Mm. And it was a real kind of like learning moment for me where I'm like, you know, just because like this is essentially like where where like I am at, I, I have to like take a little bit of a step back and also try and do a much better job of understanding like what's the like what's what's the point of view that he's coming from because also he has such a history here. So obviously because of the um, isolation, it sounds like, and the, the challenge of transportation here. It doesn't sound like a lot of these producers are part of a system that's really generating a lot for them economically to begin with. Yeah. So I'm sure that you guys are coming in offering an opportunity, but there's probably other people who are who are coming with a, a sales pitch as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's that's part of the the uh, the struggle, right? Is to be like, look, we want to preserve. Um, the cacao that's here, the cacao that it could be the original cacao like anywhere in the world. Yeah, but which you, is exciting. Which for is you. exciting like, for it's us. This old tree, and it's probably <laughs> and it's exciting for them too. But at the same time, we have to temper their expectations and be like, there is some interest in this, and that interest is growing. But it's still a very small segment of the chocolate eating public, right? And we don't want to like send you down a path that will lead to disappointment for you because we we're not here to like let you down we're here to like open a dialogue and try to uh come up with a way in which we can like build long-term research research surrounding these these rare genetics so tim who is this film for um this film is basically for anyone who has an interest in um you know the modern food movement who has any interest in where their food comes from who is interested in environmental um, aspects. Like, I think a large part of this really is, like, an environmental film as well. Um, and people who just want to connect to where stuff's coming from. I mean, before coming into this, I didn't really even know what cacao looked like on a tree before. Right. And I think, like, that might be a lot of people. Like, I work in food and food media, um, and the fact that when I realised that I didn't know just anything... I think this film is cool because I can't really find it anywhere. Right. And I think, too, there's, like, thinking about Peru in particular. So, um, you know, on the earlier episode that I was mentioning, we had Pam Williams from Ecoletta Chocolate School and Dan Pearson, both who are involved in the Heritage Cacao Foundation. And I think, you know, to my understanding, setting up, like, that type of a foundation and interfacing with USDA, looking at... Um, this type of kind of like research and opportunities for preservation definitely seems like one kind of tool in the toolbox of this conversation. Filmmaking also a tool in in the in the conversation, really bringing that story to a much broader population. And I'm wondering, like Nate, like you in the middle as as someone who is a chocolate maker who has a deep connection, like what do you see kind of like the pros and cons of like where and how to get involved? Like what are the right tools to 
you know, drive you towards the outcome? Like what would success look like? Yeah. I think one of the key things, um, and it speaks to what Tim was saying about what he found so interesting about this film is like the sort of collaboration aspect because, um, the craft chocolate market is still such a fraction of the, the chocolate market as a whole. And one of the things that we've been talking about, like within the industry is, what's a way for us to like actually get a seat at the table when it comes to U, uh, USDA like research or get a seat at the table when it comes to USAID funding or any of this stuff. Um, and we've sort of keep coming back to this thing where it really needs to be a like highly uh, organized, like collaborative front where it's like, it's not just my company or, a company in San Francisco or a company in Austin, Texas, it has to be like an industry led thing to be like, okay, you can talk to Mars, you can talk to Hershey's, you can talk to Nestle, but here's this other massive group of people, um, that also like want to have a voice and want to say in where all these funds for this researcher are, are going. Right. Um, so What, like, have you had an experience with um, a really kind of fancy, rare, exceptional varietal of chocolate? I mean, what does that look like when it's coming into, like, your hands and being processed into chocolate? How do you know it when you see it? What's that like? Um, I mean, that's part of the education, too, is, like, so much of uh, the genetics in cacao have been convoluted by... Uh, people not knowing what it is they're taking across borders or when it came across border or whose grandfather's tree it was from or where um, where the origin of the seed was. So what we're really looking to do is finding samples from trees that are really old, trying to get uh, small samples fermented and dried and make chocolate from these different places where we can start to catalog um, what different, uh, what the flavor profile of different areas looks like. So it's really about, uh, in sort of like the infant stages of trying to like create a catalog of different varieties of cacao. So back to myself as a chocolate eater, I can understand that like my, one of my like primary concerns, a concern for like a lot of chocolate aficionados would be, you know, how does it taste? Like what's in it for me in a very like immediate way? Like in the same way that I might want to enjoy a really wide range of cheeses or wines uh, or charcuterie products, like I can look at chocolate and chocolate varieties and, and mixes and cacao percentages um, and, and just the sheer pleasure and excitement and diversity of that for my palate. But when you're talking about kind of agriculture and you're looking at really serious issues as it regards to like deforestation, which opens you up to all these other concerns, you know, uh, erosion, pest management, like disease management. I think the other part of that conversation is protecting the chocolate industry in the long term. And that's another space like this breed, you know, the, the variety can kind of come into play. Does that is that like a hook that comes into the conversation for you guys as well too? It's like this might just be easier to grow or less, you know, more resilient to certain types of things or Yeah, in one of the regions that we went to, uh uh and it's it's really fascinating. They've been given a bunch of introduced varieties, stuff that's supposed to be like 
uh, super high disease resistant, uh, supposed to have really good yields. And in a lot of cases, they're cutting it down because the stuff that they're finding uh, is native to their property is more productive and more disease resistant. We um, saw that a bunch of times, I feel, as well. Yeah, we'd come up to this old tree. Like, cacao is not supposed to be productive after, like, 20, 25 years. And you walk out into the jungle and find this 45-year-old tree that's just producing, like, tons and tons of cacao. And it's just uh, um, eye-opening for me uh, just because I think a lot of people who are even in the industry don't know that this stuff exists, right? Like I went to a conference, um, that was, uh, at Penn state. There was a bunch of academics and a lot of these varieties they're not talking about. They're talking about the disease resistant varieties. They're talking about tests they're doing in Ghana, tests they're doing in the Ivory coast. They're talking about, um, hybrid genetics that are being uh, cultivated in Vietnam or Ecuador. They're not talking about the stuff that you can find deep in the jungle that's an heirloom variety that's as productive as the stuff that Mars and Hershey's are, like, uh, influencing the results of research for. Yeah, and also, like, you know, you think about multinational corporations and where they're incentivizing research and who, again, I think you said it really nicely, like, who gets to, you know, sit to sit at the table. Tim, where are you guys at in the film? Like, what stage are you? What's the, what's the next steps? Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, so we are now in, uh, we're putting together a trailer at the moment and about to start doing some fundraising. So we're going to do some events with the chocolate makers we worked with across the country in a month or two in October. Um, so we're going to move back up to the U.S. for a month or two to kind of work on all that kind of stuff. And then we go away from the world for a while and edit. And so by early to mid next year, I think we might have a finalized film. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, I think so. And will Nate, you will be keeping Tim stocked in chocolate to fuel him through the journey? Yeah, you need a lot of energy to edit, yeah. I hear. We were just talking about like the <laughs> ideal consumer, and, and we are talking about me. I was like, I think I'm the worst consumer. I literally just turn up to chocolate places and take free samples and then leave them. <laughs> I'm not your target market. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. At some point, someone needs to pay. <laughs> <laughs> someone somewhere. <laughs> and then, Nate, how about you? I mean, obviously, we're kind of moving into what must be a busy part of the year year um holiday season fall season seems like chocolate time is that right yeah so we're ramping up our production for the fall we're also just uh trying to you know secure our bean supply for the next year because this is sort of the end of harvest for everybody we're trying to secure our supply for um you know the rest of this year and for the first um you know seven eight months of of 2017 to always have to have your head kind of split into two places. Yeah, probably at actually least, a few more, two. Yeah, two, a few more than two. two. Yeah, for sure, I'm underselling two. it. Um, anything, <laughs> anything we should be looking out for uh, for the holiday line. Anything you're loving right now that folks should be tasting or looking forward to? Yeah, um, coming up in early October. Well, in this month we're releasing a apple pie bar for the fall, so that should be oh. um, a really fun uh, addition to our line. And then in the fall, we're releasing our Cabernet Sauvignon bar full-time. Um, and that's sort of a unique process where we're actually steaming the nibs over uh, boiling wine so that the chocolate is infused with uh, the flavors that bubble off the wine. 
wow, so I can get like all parts of my meal via the chest. Yeah, very, like, that's what we're trying Willy to do. Willy Wonka. Your savory and your dessert and your beverage all, all in one of our chocolate bars. Well, and then there's the setting the bar chocolate as well. So we found a bunch of beans down there, which um, we would potentially want to do some samples on and everything like that. So we're still, I mean, experimenting. That's, well, still up in the air, still dealing with the logistics, as, Got it. as always. But hopefully, we'll have some beans from the trip, which we can come up and actually like make some samples out of and see if there's anything there and if it's good. That's awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. That thanks was great. Um, definitely check out Rocka Chocolate. It's just rockachocolate.com or Rocka, sorry. Rockachocolate.com. The film is settingthebarfilm.com. Hang tight. We are going to take a short station break. And when we come back, we'll be on board with the Escape Maker segment. So stay tuned. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Or come by Escape Maker's Blue Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. What's agritourism? Any type of agriculturally-based operation or activity that brings visitors to a farm. Escape Maker offers a variety of overnight packages in the Hudson Valley, Catskills region, Finger Lakes, and more, doing all the work for you to immerse you with the locals and provide a full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. Get out of the city and explore, while also supporting your local farmers. Log on to escapemaker.com now to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back, and you know what time it is. It's time for the Escape Maker segment. We are taking a trip up to Roscoe, New York today. We are on the line with Josh the Kid Hughes from the Roscoe Beer Company. Josh, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So why are you the kid? When I came on board with the company, I was a lot younger than most people realized, and so I came in and just was given the nickname Kid. <laughs> as you're wont to do. So you are the head brewer up there for Roscoe Beer? That is correct. And give us a little bit of a lowdown. What kind of stuff are you guys producing? We produce quite a wide range of styles here at the brewery, ranging from light pale ales all the way up to your big, robust stouts that are you know up there in alcohol. Today we're brewing an Oktoberfest that we plan on releasing a little bit uh, later in the month. We'll be doing some autumn seasonal beers. So the styles range, especially from season to season, to really compensate for what the consumer is looking for. And the kind of um, community there, it's like you guys are quite well known for fly fishing. Is that right? That is correct. It was actually voted as the ultimate trout fishing town in the country. Really? That Ah. is correct by the World Fishing Network. Damn. All right. So uh, side note, can you drink beer while fishing for trout? Absolutely. <laughs> it's actually highly encouraged. <laughs> I'm just, I wonder, like, how do you have to keep it on the down low or not really? 
Not really. I mean, no one's really going to be bothering you so long as you're responsible, you're not littering, and you're really taking care of nature and being responsible about what you're doing. Yeah, well, we are, you know, Heritage Radio Network listeners would never be irresponsible litterers. Come on. Um, you guys are lo- so one of the other things I find so interesting, we've been talking uh, throughout the series with a lot of different um, beer makers and distillers, and there seems to be a trend of operations like yours taking over firehouses. Um, how did that happen? Well, firehouses have a lot of great infrastructure for us. And here in Roscoe, there's actually two old firehouses. There's a distillery in one and our brewery in the other. One of the nice things is there's large water supplies because fire departments needed a large volume of water. And uh, basically, beverage production facilities also need a large water supply. One of the other nice aspects is these buildings typically have higher ceilings as well as garage bay access to the street and phenomenal floor drains, all extremely imperative in our industry. That's, uh, that totally makes sense. Um, so I guess it begs the question, where are the firefighters now? They are in a newer facility still here <laughs> okay. in town. Okay, okay. So you guys weren't like swapping up, you know, beer making for firefighting. No, no, but don't get me wrong. Any given day of the week, some of them very well may be here. (laughs) Um, So, folks, if they want to come out and check out the area, um, give us a little sense of what they would find. Um, We know the trout fishing. When they come visit you, it sounds like they're going to get to check out a pretty cool space. Other recommendations for folks in the area? We highly recommend everyone coming to the area. It's a nice, quaint little town. There's not a large population base here, but the town has a very big, small-time feel to it, if that makes sense. There's a lot of small, old shops that have been here for generations. And then there's some newer shops that have come in as well. You're going to get this one-of-a-kind experience that meshes nature with a small-time community feel. And we try and embrace everything that this community has to offer and the area as well and our tasting room specifically so when you come in you're going to get a truly one-of-a-kind experience just with the atmosphere that we provide here i like that well i know that you have um traveled around a bit um making beer drinking beer kind of checking out uh different styles in different regions of the country and parts of the world and i love on the website you guys say you know a town as all american as roscoe needs its own beer Um, So I'm wondering when you are kind of like sitting down with your pencil and paper or in front of the computer or, you know, your chalkboard, however you do it, to kind of think about making new styles of beer or experimenting or doing maybe like a one-off small batch. You know, what do you look to for kind of inspiration? And maybe can you tell us about anything that's been kind of brewing in your kind of imaginary um, pots lately? You know, it's really highly dependent on what it is that we're deciding to do. Um, For instance, here in Roscoe, because we don't have a major population base and the craft beer movement hadn't hit here as heavy as other parts of the country, we had to open our doors with a little bit easier to drink craft beer than some of the breweries doing their, you know, triple IPAs and big, bold stouts. So we dialed things back, giving beers full of flavor that had a very pleasant, easy-to-drink character to them. And now that we've gained a lot more recognition and a lot more people are aware of what we're doing, that's opened up the doors to create a little bit more of a diverse product line where some of our beers can truly be specialty with a lot of complexities to them. 
Uh, for instance, this latest batch that we're uh, that we did was our stout, but we decided to up the alcohol content a little bit so that it is better aged out in barrels. And the reason why we're doing this is we've had a lot of requests from some of our more loyal local fan base that they're looking for something that has a nice barrel character to it. And with a distillery right here in town, we have access to world-class bourbon barrels that we can age out our stout in. So we tied in a local business into our product to provide a product back to the customer that they requested. Uh, that sounds like a really wonderful symbiotic relationship. I like that. Um, well, if folks want to learn out mo- learn more, they can definitely find you guys at RoscoeBeerCompany.com. Um, anything kind of on the horizon that we should be pointing folks to or they should just come up and have a seat and drink some good beer? On October 1st, we are having our annual Oktoberfest in which... Uh, we will be releasing our Oktoberfest beer that we are putting in the tank today. Huh. So we're like kind of making a, a perfect kind of arc of pairings. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much. It was really great uh, getting to learn a little bit more about Roscoe and solving the mystery behind the brewery, distillery, firehouse connection. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. It was a true pleasure. All right, folks, that is a wrap. You've made it to the end of another episode of The Farm Report. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and questions. Definitely keep them coming. Uh, If you want to follow us, we are Heritage underscore Radio on Instagram or Twitter. I am Erin underscore Fairbanks um, on the same platforms. Of course, as you know, because you are a regular Farm Report listener, thank you. We are a 501c nonprofit radio station, so send us some love. Become a member today. You can find out more by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org, clicking on that beating heart, and, you know, toss us a couple bucks. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Oh.